Brian Barnett is just a regular guy. He's not a doctor. He has no legal license in any field of mental or emotional health. Brian Barnett merely shares the insights he's gained from his personal experiences for anybody who may choose to use such information as he or she personally chooses, while accepting full responsibility for his or her own individual thoughts, feelings, behaviors, and actions. Brian Barnett assumes no responsibility whatsoever for anybody's individual choice to expose himself or herself to any information that Brian Barnett shares. And by listening to this program, you're acknowledging that you, and only you, are responsible for your own thoughts, feelings, and actions. Happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome back to The Last Symptom. I'm Brian Barnett, the creator and host. I'm really glad to have you here. As you know, last week I was in the woods. I went on this long backpacking trip in the mountains in Pennsylvania, and I didn't really want to advertise exactly where I was going to be at the time, but I can tell you now that I went out and I hiked the uh, the PA Grand Canyon. Uh, this trail particularly was called the West Rim Trail. I did it originally back in 2009. I thought it was 2008, but upon reviewing some of my notes and stuff, I see that the last time I did it was in 2009. Now, let me tell you about this trail. The first time I did it, not a lot of people knew about it, I would say. They had just written an article about it in Outsider Magazine or Backpacker Magazine or something. And that's how I learned about it. So me and my buddy Jim run out there and did it. And then my brother actually met me while we were out there. And then he finished finished that trail up with us over the next few days. What I remember about the trip back in 2009, which was 12 years ago, was that there was nobody. There was nothing out there. It was ridiculously remote. Definitely no phone signals. I mean, forget about phone service. In fact, the reason why I now own a standalone GPS unit, like a portable GPS unit that works by direct connection to a a satellite, is because of this trip 12 years ago. Because I got out there no phone service, nothing, and uh, had a hard time figuring out how to get back to civilization from there because I couldn't even get, you know, a, pull up maps or anything on my phone at that time. It was just very, very remote. Lots of wildlife, black bear, porcupines, which are the most docile, peaceful creatures I've ever met, by the way. A lot of timber rattlesnakes, <clears throat> things of that sort. But we were there in June like the middle of June and which you'd think you know for for any kind of elite trail would be prime time you know you'd imagine running all sorts of people well the trail the western trail at that time was such a kind of closely held secret I reckon that even in the middle of June I did not run into anybody we didn't see another soul out there the whole time back in 2009 so think about it saw no other people lots of wildlife no phone signals whatsoever i mean you talk about feeling disconnected from society when we went out there this time back here beginning of april which was last week beginning of last week what they've done is for some of the early vistas 
the spectacular early vistas in this uh, backpacking trail. They've brought up roads and parking areas. And so for the first day, for like the first, I'm going to say three or about for the first three hours, we were running into people left and right. And I didn't like that. I didn't like that at all. It kind of had this Disney World feeling to it. And, of course, phone signals were not a problem. There was plenty of phone signal way up high on that mountain. So I was having kind of regrets about having come back to this trail now that it seems like everybody knows about it. And even the the campsite on our first night, I kind of walked around a cove there. I had my dog Orson with me. Walked around a cove. Somebody had taken a crap. They didn't even bury it. They didn't even bury it. They just kind of went around the hill there and cleaned themselves up with paper towels, of all things, and uh, just left the paper towels and their poop sitting there on top of the ground. And, you know, that was a... A very frustrating situation because my dog wanted to run over there and get into that all night long and I had to it was just a lot of extra work for me so the first day was not tremendously satisfying <laughs> for me but as with anything out there in the woods the further in you get you know the fewer people there are who are willing to put in that sort of effort and time to get out there to those remote areas so after the first day we got out there and we had a good old time stopped seeing people so on the second morning we got up and we started hiking we run into one feller there who was trail running so he wasn't a backpacker he was just running the trail he passed us and after that we didn't see no nobody else after that for the whole rest of the week so it, it it started off kind of rough, and it got much better. All right, well, you're not here to talk about backpacking, those sorts of things, are you? We've got lots to talk about today. I hope you've been enjoying the orange slices. Those are condensed video insights that I've been publishing every day for you folks, just to give you kind of something to think about, something constructive to think about during the day. They're between, you know, a minute to five minutes in length, typically. And uh, speaking of backpacking, on about the third or fourth night I was out there, I woke up in the middle of the night. (laughs) Apparently I did. I don't remember doing this. But the next day when I checked my phone, there was a nine-minute recording of me in the tent talking to the camera. And uh, when I watched it, what happened was, (laughs) apparently I woke up and I was thinking about you folks, my audience. And I woke up in the middle of the night and I started talking to you all in the camera and I spoke for nine minutes and it must have seemed like the most profound thing in the entire world while I was talking in my sleep but the next day I couldn't even remember what on earth I, I was thinking about and when I watched the video it's just gibberish it's just nine minutes of gibberish so <laughs> that was interesting it could have turned into a fantastic episode of the orange slices who knows but it did not before we get into the topics for today let me tell you real quick about the lastsymptom.com that's my website full free resources of course i offer some paid research resources there too some modest paid resources but the lastsymptom.com really is kind of the the central hub of my work 
right now the last symptom social media is happening happening on the locals platform so if you go to the last you can uh, join the last symptom community there another way to do it is just to download the locals.com app and run over there and uh, look up the last symptom and join our community there the paid services that i offer one-on-one phone conversations with me one-on-one zoom conferences with me uh, as well as something i'm very excited about the last symptom fundamentals course which is meant to be the premier service for you for those interested in uh, recovering permanently from emotional disorder such as borderline personality disorder it's a structured two-week class about three hours a day that uh, is meant to give you really send you leaps and bounds uh, ahead in your own efforts to recovery can you can you hear that i'm kind of worn down today yeah i'm I'm feeling i'm feeling kind of worn down so let's get into this uh first question i got today comes from uh somebody who is 23 and she says i'm 23 i think i've always been pretty good at observing my own flaws and noticed many of my borderline personality disorder symptoms quite early for example I knew that I perceived other people as being robots or not human when I was about 15, but I thought I was it was normal. By that time, I already knew that I had no self-confidence and later noticed that I wasn't able to connect with others and create intimacy or truly love a guy. The fact that I was so self-conscious led me to depression and losing many friends in the span of the last two years. I started obsessing about finding a remedy for whatever it was. I've tried going to therapy taking about 15 types of supplements at a time, several diets, and so on. Every time the approach failed, I got back to hours of internet research to find a new, better remedy, which I would then preach until it failed as all of them did. Then, in my attempt to self-diagnose once again, I came across the definition of borderline personality disorder. It finally clicked, but everyone on the internet was saying I would have to deal with it for the rest of my life. Also, many people with borderline personality disorder were publicly crying about being victims, saying they don't try to manipulate or hurt others to please themselves. But as I already acknowledged that I was hurting people for the attention and my own wicked pleasure, I thought it would be a lot easier to not feel any responsibility for the pain I've caused and for who I am. I wished I could be in so much denial myself and that maybe... It would be easier to go on my life. Meanwhile, the internet research obsession went on and I found the Last Symptom podcast. Later, I realized that it was the perfect time. I was desperate enough and at the same time, I wasn't in that much of denial about my issues, though still a lot. The last month, I've learned so much. I've been very excited about the future for the first time in my life. And even though I've slipped a few times, I did not stay down there for too long. However, the past few days have been kind of depressing. I've lost some of the hope due to interpersonal communication, which has been very stressful lately. For example, a sister of my late grandpa was on a visit. She started talking about the time her sister-in-law, my grandma, was dying. It took several months, and my dad took her home from the hospital to care for her. I barely visited my grandma, and I myself 
felt very ashamed for that for a long time. I told her it was hard for me to see my grandma suffering and being in so much pain and that I was young back then. She told me I was around 17 and that that was no excuse. I already knew how uncomfortable I was about emotions for my whole life and that it was my ancestors' fault. And my grandma wasn't even a very good person. She was very emotionally cold and when I did visit her while she was ill, she told me out of nowhere I only cared about guys and that was basically our whole relationship summed up. But I wasn't really able to reason with myself at the moment so I started shaking and then left the situation. It took me about two hours to calm down. Then there was a family gathering and some other stressful moments. All of that in the last few days. I don't want to give up completely, but I can't seem to snap out of that unmotivated state of mind. I went through every episode and feel overwhelmed with all the recent knowledge, and I think I overcomplicated. Do you have any advice? So here's my answer. What I see here in this story is that the same unhealthy influences which educated you in improper and unhealthy distorted perspectives as a little girl are still working on you. As an independent adult free agent, you've chosen apparently to allow these same people to continue poisoning you. It's a choice you've made. It's totally within your power to not allow those influences to continue poisoning you. But you haven't made that decision for whatever reason. Rather, you've chosen to continue allowing it. Parents, uncles, aunts, grandparents, they're all operating on the same false perspectives, false foundation perspectives of life. Yeah, the comment your granny's sister said to you is a shaming message, not a guilt message. It's a shaming message. In other words, she wants you to feel bad about yourself. You know, everybody, in order to, to really escape these sorts of things, you have to be willing to do anything you have to do to escape these things. Uh, I know that sounds sort of like a tongue twister or something. I don't know. But it really comes down to that. If you're not willing to do what you have to do to get healthy, you're not going to get healthy. I had I had to make some really hard decisions about who I was going to continue um, exposing myself to. Now, you say, you know, there are some cultures, for example, I just bumped into, I meant to tell you about this too, I bumped into a cousin of mine, his name's Georgie, he probably doesn't go by Georgie no more, he probably goes by George, but I bumped into him, and so it was It was just nice, it was nice to see my cousin and everything, and I'll, t- I'll tell you more about him in the future, because there was a great big old family feud going on in our family that he kind of got sucked into the middle of. And it really, it, it was just a lot of drama. And we talked a little bit about that. And uh, But it's funny, you know, because we're talking about family members and everything like that. And the, the point that I'm making here is that you have to be willing to 
distance yourself from certain people. It doesn't matter what the culture is in your family. If you want to get healthy, you're still going to have to do it. You can't continue exposing yourself to people who have such a powerful influence over you and think that you're going to be able to think clearly and that you're going to be able to escape these things and and live a peaceful life. You just cannot you cannot have your cake and eat it too. So it comes down to some really tough uh, decisions. And I think the reason why I thought of Georgie there was because at one point he said that uh, an uncle of ours had gotten beat up like somebody was driving too fast through the neighborhood and he went out there screaming at, him, screaming at him and the guy pulled the car over and got out and beat him to a pulp. And Georgie was telling me, in fact, almost verbatim, his words were, you know, it's all right for me to fight with my family. It ain't all right for somebody who's outside of our family to do it. Uh, so that's sort of the Appalachian culture there. You know, blood is thicker than water. In fact, if you ever watch Tombstone, I think it's Tombstone. Um, is that the one that uh, Kevin Costner was in? The one that Kevin Costner's in, which is about White Earp. In fact, I think it's called White Earp. That's kind of an ongoing theme in that movie. You know, wives come and go, but brothers are forever blood is thicker than water um, you can feud with your family but when everything when it all is said and done you never turn your back you never betray your family you never turn your back on your family and you never take sides with anybody against your family that's the culture I live in so now imagine that when I was going through my authentic recovery and I was analyzing these things and being honest about it and seeing who was no good for me and who was good for me Think about all the people that I had to say, all right, you know, I won't turn my back on them or anything, but I'm not going to go out of my way to spend time with these people anymore. Think about the pressures I was under. Did I worry how they were going to interpret that? Well, I could have been tempted to worry about how they were going to interpret that. But I knew that I had to do what I had to do and make big sacrifices and big decisions if I was going to escape that cloud of unhealthy attitudes and perspectives so parents uncles aunts grandparents they're all operating on the same false perspectives of life so the comment that this granny is that this sister this granny said to the girl that uh, that wrote me this message that was a shaming message not a guilt message a shaming message you know because it's designed to make you feel bad about yourself. If it were a message intended to provoke guilt, well, then it would go something like this. You know, you're a great person, but what you did, what you did was, could be improved upon. You know, it was, it was not right what you did, but we love you. That would be a guilting message because the focus then is on the action, not on the person. So, all the issues that this person that we're talking to today is trying to escape are already rooted in shame. So, that is feeling bad about yourself. What's the best thing to do then? If you find out, you know, if you evaluate your environment honestly and you realize that everybody is sending you shaming messages. In fact, it's probably a, an ingrained culture within your family. Everybody probably does it to everybody. Well, what's the best thing to do? 
Keep distance between yourself and those people while you work to identify and eliminate shame entirely out of your system. Do you see how it's counterproductive to say, all right, I'm trying to eliminate shame. I'm trying to eliminate shame from my foundation perspectives of of life and self and my feelings. And at the same time, you continue to choose exposing yourself to these people who put that there in the first place. It's counter-constructive. It's not constructive, in other other words. As I said, I'm kind of tired tonight. As I've said in the past, in my own circumstances, I knew I'd have to severely limit any contact with most of my family, especially in the early stages of my work. You know, to heck with what they think. I had to do it for myself because it would have been too easy for them to suck me back into the same distorted, twisted ways of thinking that I had already been used to for nearly 40 years. Very hard to escape if you don't distance yourself between the, uh, distance yourself from those influences. So we're trying to get you to a place where you are content with your own decisions and your decisions only have to make sense to you. Nobody else who's ever lived has to agree with your decisions. Only you do. Imagine imagine the effect that has. If you are completely content with your decisions, does it matter if the guy across the street totally disagrees with your decision? No. He doesn't understand all the nuances of what caused you to arrive at that conclusion and make that decision. But if you're content... It doesn't matter if the whole world disagrees with you. If you're content with your reasons, then nobody will be able to say a thing to rob you of your contentment with yourself and your decisions and your reasons for your decisions. If you truly are, if you truly do see that only you can live your life and only you have to be content with these things. They don't have to make sense to unhealthy people. Nobody else on the planet has to approve of them except for you. So practice recognizing shaming messages and attitudes from the moment they begin. You know, these messages that are slyly intended to make you feel bad about yourself, that it's manipulative and controlling. You know, these shaming families, that's how they control you. And it's a prison. It really is a prison. And it's a prison that you don't have to be a prisoner to. You can choose to start rejecting these shaming messages. And you can choose, as an adult free agent, to distance yourself from these sorts of people. So, practice rejecting messages of shame immediately. Also, practice removing yourself from such influences even if it means getting up and walking away without a word allowing ourselves to be exposed to that poison serves no positive purpose whatsoever and anything that does not serve a positive constructive purpose can be rejected we can keep ourselves clear of those things we can identify them and keep ourselves at a distance from them so hang in there Keep working, and if you do, there'll come a time when nobody will be able to have this type of effect on you again. In the last Symptom Fundamentals course, to illustrate 
the law of individual inherent rights, responsibility, and authority. Uh, if you'd like to learn more about that, you'd want to go through the, uh, the Last Symptom podcast and find that topic where I discuss it in depth. But basically it's, you know, that we are each self-contained in our own circles. That's where all of our inherent rights, responsibility, and authority belong. That's where our attention belongs. Anytime we, our attention begins to stray outside of that circle and we want to start living other people's lives for them or making other people's decisions for them or anything like that, um, it, that's a violation of the natural order. We need to be content within our own circle. So somebody it, within the, uh, the Last Symptom Fundamentals course, I illustrate this with circles. And when I talk about uh, relationships, a lot of people, if you imagine we're all walking around in our individual circles, a lot of people imagine that when you get into a relationship that these circles merge, right? Because now two people have come together and now these circles are in their feet, which are their individual inherent rights, responsibility, and authority. They imagine that those circles merge. You know, they kind of overlap. But that's uh, the wrong way to to imagine it. People's circles don't overlap. You see, when you get into a relationship, your circle does not overlap with your wife's circle or your uh, husband's circle or your boyfriend's circle or your girlfriend's circle. That's the wrong way to imagine it. In fact, if you are imagining it that, imagining it that way, that means you're living with an erroneous perspective about how about the nature of relationships, about the nature of individuality, in other words, the nature of self, and the nature of relationships. The only circumstance when a person is within another person's circle is children. You see, children exist within their parents' individual inherent rights, responsibility, and authority. But the inherent rights, responsibility, and authority parents have over their children are limited. The individual inherent rights, responsibility, and authority we have over ourselves is unlimited. But the, resp- the, the inherent rights, responsibility, and authority we have over our children are not unlimited. And these inherent rights, responsibility, and authority only exist in combination with grave responsibility. In other words, we can't just treat our children however we want. And once they've become adult free agents, guess what? Whatever rights we had over them go away entirely. Back to the circles. The individual inherent rights, responsibility, and authority circles. We all have a circle around us as individuals. The circle represents our individual inherent rights, responsibility, and authority as individuals. Now, some words to emphasize in this individual and inherent we're talking about something that can't be given to you and it can't be taken away as soon as you become an adult you have it we all do all adults walking about the earth are constrained to a circle where they have inherent that means nobody has no government has to grant it to them no law has to grant it to them nobody has to grant it to you it's yours. It's an inherent aspect of being an adult. So inherent individual 
These are two words to emphasize. So when two people get into a relationship, are you beginning to see why their circles do not merge or overlap? It's because your inherent individual rights, responsibility, and authority cannot be passed over to some other person. It can't be. It's not that it just doesn't. It can't be. Not even to your husband. It can't even be transferred over to your wife. It can't be transferred over to anybody. The circle that represents it cannot overlap or merge with somebody else's inherent individual rights, responsibility, and authority. The circles represent individual inherent rights, responsibility, and authority that we possess as what? As individuals. Are you ever going to not be an individual? No. No matter what you do in life, you're never going to stop being an individual. And as such, you're never going to stop having individual inherent rights, responsibility, and authority. Getting into relationships does not change our inherent individual rights, responsibility, and authority as individuals. So therefore, if we're going to illustrate a relationship with a drawn, it would look like two individual circles standing alone. So what would be the relationship? Well, the relationship would look like a big circle encompassing both individual circles. But within that large circle, which is the relationship, you've still got two standalone circles. That represents each individual's individual inherent rights, responsibility, and authority. The large circle represents the relationship, what it needs, and those sorts of things. And what are one of the imperative things that a relationship needs to be healthy and exist and flourish? Well, it's two totally independent and self-sufficient adult free agents content within their own independent circles and each respectful of the other's circle. So our circles, when we get into a relationship, do not merge. They don't even overlap. They don't do anything like that. You're always going to be re- you're always going to be stuck in your own individual circle no matter what your relationship status is. The quicker you understand that and begin living by that understanding, the more quickly you're going to be able to find and maintain a healthy relationship. I recently had a friend tour Grand Ole Opry in Tennessee. Now, for you folks who aren't here in the States, maybe you've never heard of Grand Ole Opry. Maybe lots of you out there on the West Coast I don't know. I've never heard of what Grand Ole Opry is. But it's a it's a famous music hall for country singers, bluegrass singers, things of that nature. Anybody who is anybody in uh, the Appalachian music world or the country music world has at some time performed at Grand Ole Opry and you know it's it's historical. It's been there for a long long time. So I recently had a friend take a tour of Grand Ole Opry in Tennessee. And I was telling this person that my parents took me to Grand Ole Opry when I was 10 years old or something like that. 
So the person who toured Grand Ole Opry asked me what I thought about the experience, if I was impressed by it at that age, and so on and so so forth. So here's what I remember about that experience. I remember being embarrassed by it all. (laughs) At that time, my Appalachian culture was an embarrassment to me. Now, remember, at this time, I was already living with borderline personality disorder. I didn't know I was, but I was. And my best friend Jordan, who you hear me talk about, he fed that embarrassment a lot because he really disparaged Appalachian people as being dumb and slow and not very bright or cultured. That was... He took pride in the finer things in life, you know, literature, art, uh, travel. Um, A lot of... He tried to emulate a lot of higher class you know, perceived higher class uh, ways of life and that sort of thing, which is ironic because my friend Jordan was an Appalachian Cherokee. (laughs) His dad was too. They were both Appalachian. In fact, for most of the time I knew Jordan, he lived in a barn. Now, over there on the locals platform, I'm thinking maybe before the end of this week or maybe early next week, I'm going to do a supporters-only post Uh, showing that barn. I've got pictures of it. But it was a barn that had been converted into a house. But, you know, they were from Appalachia. They lived in Appalachia. They lived in a barn. It was their culture. But Jordan's attitude, his disparaging attitude toward our shared culture uh, at an early age started... I started believing those disparaging attitudes and I started you know I worried about what people would think of me of course I wanted to be seen as intelligent I wanted to be seen as cultured I wanted to be seen as uh, open minded so for a long time I rejected my culture I wanted uh, people to like me now I noticed this with several people who share my culture who are in uh, Hollywood and that sort of thing that they begin to do this too they begin to turn on their own culture here's what I don't like about it the better alternative other than falling into line and agreeing with uh, the world's perceptions of us uh, a better thing to do than that would be to celebrate your culture and to show people why their beliefs about us are not correct. I think that is the more honorable thing to do. So, you know, a lot of people would say, for example, that we're all racist. Everybody from Appalachia, we're all racist. In fact, they want to connect it innately with the culture. They want to say the culture is racist, and that's just not true. So there's two ways I could approach that. I could approach that by pretending like I reject my culture and I could jump in the line or I could say, nope, these things aren't exclusive. I don't have to reject my culture and pretend like it's bad to appease you. What I can do instead is show you that just like any culture, 
it's made up of people of different attitudes and perspectives. It was never the perspective in my family. My, my family would not tolerate racism. So <clears throat> clearly that has influenced my life in uh, demonstrable ways. You know, my first wife was black. My daughter is Honduran. Um, I've never shown favor to uh, any particular race of person. Um, so it's a, it's a flat-out lie that the Appalachian culture is inherently tied to racism. Uh, it's also true for Southern culture. You know, um, they have that reputation. In fact, I just saw a YouTube video the other day. It was from like 1970s. But apparently, you know, it was a, a talk show host, and yeah, it was offensive to me because basically they were accusing the guy, the guest that was on there, of just on the merit of him being from Georgia that he was a racist. I reject that. Just because a person is from Georgia means nothing. It means nothing as far as that goes. What you got to do is analyze the person's personal record. It doesn't matter where he's from. Yeah. On the flip side, just because you're from California does not mean that you are inherently not a racist. It's an absurd logical fallacy to view life like that. Well, you're from California, you must not be racist. Oh, you're from Tennessee. Well, you, there's a really good chance you're a racist. Uh, that's absurd. But Jordan did this not just with race issues, but with cultural issues, you know, like refinement. You know, it's a lot of people think that, uh, for example, if you're from Appalachia and you talk like Brian Barnett does, well, you probably aren't too... Uh, interested in literature and poetry and those sorts of things because those are refined things you know those are refined qualities that belong to people from uh, New England for example but is that true nope it's not true it's just another logical fallacy back to Grand Ole Opry I was embarrassed by my culture this carried on for many years of course BPD exacerbated that because you know I just wanted to appease anybody just to be accepted and loved because I felt like I was unlovable. And I'll tell you what, a big important aspect of my recovery was finally letting go of these imaginary repulsions I carried around during my recovery and beginning to embrace and love the reality of who I am, which includes the realities of my cultural background. Now, don't get me wrong. There's plenty of humor to be found in Appalachia. Uh, I remember... <laughs> Jordan and I driving through town one time we were going we went into town to rent some movies and get a pizza or something and as we were driving through we saw these three guys driving through town all of them packed into the front seat of a pickup truck and the pickup truck had no windshield that was funny we laughed and laughed about that because it's so stereotypical right of hillbillies driving through town three of them packed into the front of the pickup truck no windshield <laughs> can you imagine uh, just getting hit in the face by a, a beetle or something while you're driving through town at 30 miles an hour <laughs> so there's plenty of humor to be found in Appalachia I'm not a big stick in the mud where I can't look at my own culture and, and laugh at certain aspects of it but I no longer think it's okay to disparage entire cultures I also don't think, and you know this about me, that denial 
is ever healthy? And what is it when you deny that uh, your culture, that your background and your culture just is what it is? It's denial. So I especially don't think it's okay to deny yourself that your background just is what it is, or to deny it as if we can all just pick what we want our backgrounds and cultures to be. As I say, that's a form of denial, and denial is not healthy in any form. So both Jordan and another close friend of mine, I won't give his name, but we'll just call him Bob. Both Jordan and Bob are or were guilty of this. Bob, to this day, denies that he's Appalachian. He will get angry with you if you press him on this. He thinks that uh, your cultural reality is something you can just choose. Like, for example, if you prefer city ideologies and lifestyles and refinements, then you're not Appalachian because you don't prefer your way of life. But that's not how it works. You see, Bob was born and raised in Appalachia just minutes down the road here from me until he was 40 years old. His family, all of his grandparents and uncles and aunts, they're all from Appalachia. Moving to a city doesn't suddenly make him not Appalachian. And just because he likes to drink espresso at a highfalutin cafe in the city while he's reading poetry and going to the opera does not suddenly make him not Appalachian. You see? Big reason for me getting my tattoo. If you haven't seen the tattoo of my arm yet, it's a poem that I wrote myself about being Appalachian. Some of the sweeter aspects of you know, my connection to nature and that sort of thing. And the, the reason why I got the tattoo is because I'm done hiding it or pretending it away. It's a it's a demonstration of my embrace of the reality of who I am and where I come from. Bob gets visibly very angry if you press him on the fact that he is Appalachian. That's how opposed he is to the reality of his real cultural heritage and background. You see, he's totally controlled by what he worries are the outside world's perspectives on people from Appalachia. That's one way to do it. You know, you could go into denial and pretend it away. However, my re- authentic recovery from emotional disorder has taught me unquestionably that the better way to do it is through acceptance. If people want to believe I'm stupid and uh, uncultured, they're free to believe that. I know the truth. I love poetry, I love literature. I'm I'm a deep thinker. I love really good conversation. I I don't have a lot of tolerance for people who are not. I don't think that uh, me celebrating my own culture has hurt the affection people tend to show me. If anything, it seems to be something people love, uh, especially since it's a disappearing, underrepresented culture these days. Okay, to wrap up here, just because I need to get a nap, some have asked if there's an official last sentence program or structure to follow, where to get started, and so on. These are good questions. The answer is yes, there is a structure, and I'm going to give it to you right here. So if you got a pen or pencil ready, and you know, you're just discovering my work here, uh, this will help you figure out how to approach the wealth of uh, 
information that now exists under the last symptom banner. Number one, you want to go over to thelastsymptom.com and you want to stay in touch with it. Uh, sign up there on my email mailing list. While you're there, begin reading my articles, preferably in order. So in order to do this, the most natural progression of my articles is to go back to the first article and work your way forward. The first article you'll see when you enter the article library is actually, uh, this is over at thelastsymptom.com, is actually the last article published, not the first. So you'll want to scroll to the bottom of the screen and navigate back to the first page of articles using the arrows. And that way, you can read the articles in the order that I've published them. Now, it's not going to be the end of the world if <clears throat> you read them out of order, but um, what I'm talking about is if you're interested in the most natural progression of insights being that you'll expose yourself to, then you probably want to read them in order. Number two, begin listening to the Last Symptom podcast, in order or not. But my recommendation is the that you listen to the first 10 or 15, the very first 10 or 15 episodes that were published. I recommend you, re you listen to those in order. Once you've listened to the first 10 or 15 episodes in order, you can then bounce around and listen to uh, newer episodes or later episodes according to topics that seem most interesting to you. That seems like a very practical way to go about the whole thing. Number three, join the Last Symptom community on Locals, on the Locals platform. Get some time interacting with others who follow my work, sharing discussions. How do you find the Last Symptom on Locals? Well, you can go in your web browser. You can go to thelastsymptom.locals.com. That's L-O-C-A-L-S. That's probably the easiest way to do it. But if you're like me and you like doing everything on apps from your phone, Another way to do it is to download the Locals.com app to your phone from the App Store and then just search The Last Symptom. So you got it. We're at number three. Number one, read the articles that I've written. Number two, listen to all the episodes of the podcast. Number three, join us on The Last Symptom community on Locals. Begin to interact with others, share in discussions. Number four, take The Last Symptom Fundamentals course. This is something that is available at thelastsymptom.com. It's that two-week intensive program I was telling you about earlier. Why don't I tell you to do that just the very first thing? Well, the reason I say to do all these other things first is so that you can become invested in the last symptom, begin getting answers and insights at no cost to you, and then once you've built up trust in my work, then is a good time to enroll in the last symptom fundamentals course so you know what's involved you got an idea of what's involved ahead of time and uh, boy if you do enroll in the last symptom fundamentals course and uh, you're primed for it it can chop years and years of time off of your authentic recovery you're going to want to continue participating on locals as you continue your personal work um, and this is just going to help you keep your progress on track uh, another great question I get asked every once in a while is about transcripts. Are transcripts of the Last Symptom podcast available? Well, early on in my work, two years ago, I was offering transcripts for uh, for each show 
for the hard of hearing deaf community. But this was a massive amount of extra work for me. And after a while, interest in this seemed to wane. So I discontinued it. However, the article library over at thelastsymptom.com contains much of the same information. You know, not as comprehensively explained and analyzed, but, uh, but the, the, the meat and taters of that information. But even better, if you choose to listen to The Last Symptom podcast on the official The Last Symptom YouTube channel, you do have the option now of turning on subtitles, uh, which apparently works pretty well, even with my accent. So, as I'm told by some of our members, that's a, a great way to be able to have a transcript, um, a ready-made trans- transcript of The Last Symptom podcast. And with that, I think I'm going to bring things to a close here. I need to uh, edit the show here and then get some sleep. So I hope you folks are having a wonderful week. Be sure to do something nice for yourselves this weekend. I'm supposed to play some cards with my buddy, and we're going to watch the first episode of the new season of The Last Drive-In with Joe Bob Briggs on Shudder, S-H-U-D-D-E-R. So we always have a good time doing that. It's just a lot of childish fun. Folks, I hope that you'll take care, uh, take advantage of the orange slices, the daily orange slices over there on thelastsymptom.locals.com. And, uh, and I also hope I'll get to talk to you here again next week. Same place, same time. Have a wonderful evening, everybody. Mm-hmm.